Welcome back to After the Battle. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host. On today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking to concussion expert Ben Velasquez. This guy's worked with Timothy Bradley after the Provodnikov fight. I mean, you all remember what kind of a war that was. And, you know, a lot of people neglect uh, the whole concussion talk. And I think that it's something super important in this sport that you have to acknowledge, you have to realize it's a reality of of any kind of combat sport, whether it's boxing, whether it's MMA. So, without further ado, Ben Velasquez, here we go. Joining me now is concussion expert Ben Velasquez. Ben, welcome to Half the Battle. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me, buddy. Oh, anytime. So, I got a question for you. You know, there's talk about, you know, what's the proper amount of time to take off after a concussion. Now, is that a real thing? Yeah. Are you supposed to take a certain amount of time off, or is that just a, a bunch of talk? Yeah, well, it's hard to generalize something like that, and that's what um, all of the people that are researching concussions are finding. They're finding that it's every single event or concussion is so unique um, to the individual and the individual athlete that it's hard to put some kind of standardized uh, time frame on when the athlete is ready to return to play. Um, and that also includes the fact that every sport is kind of different depending on the type of contact, certainly with MMA, that those, those guidelines have to be different because there is definitely contact in that sport, correct? Man, you know, it's interesting because I've seen some guys take plenty of time off. They come back looking like a completely different person. I've seen other guys Ooh. take almost no time off. They come back and they're never the same. But on the flip side, I, I have to be honest because there are cases where a guy gets knocked out. Four months later, he comes back and he wins a decision. So every case is different, like you said. But is there a you know an overall pattern to this? Um, I think, you know, being that um, we're, we're talking specifically about MMA, um, I, I think that you have to look at the coach is the best provider of information because even the medical staff that evaluates the athlete, they're just looking at certain parameters. They're looking at, okay, um, you know, does this athlete have any outward signs? Is, is this fighter dizzy still? Does he have headaches? Um, does he have nausea? Well, you know, um, uh, those kind of um, obvious symptoms. Um, the coach is going to know whether or not the athlete is the same athlete and whether or not they've recovered. So the best information usually comes from the coaches that are working directly with the athlete. And they have to be honest about what they see in terms of the athlete that's been injured like that. Now, Ben, you mentioned some of the symptoms, you know, obviously nausea, a mm -hmm. headache, dizziness. Are there mm -hmm. other symptoms that, you know, might be a little bit more minor that someone might not even know? You know, can someone have a concussion without knowing it is what I'm trying to say here? Oh, yeah. No, it's a really good question. And I think that's that that question opens up Pandora's box, which is the biggest issue that um, both the medical community and academia are looking at now. And it's not so much... Um, outward concussions where an athlete gets knocked out or where they have those symptoms that we just spoke about, but it's all that um, sub-concussive trauma, that repetitive head trauma or repetitive hits that the athlete may have no symptoms um, at all, but that repetitive head trauma is an issue that starts to add up and it's cumulative. And then you, you know, you have a, an issue down the line. So, um, MMA is the perfect example of that, of that, uh, keeping an eye on all that sub-concussive trauma or those repetitive hits. Now, if you're someone that fights all the time, or maybe even spars all the time, 
is are there certain mm -hmm. things that you recommend people do to I mean, I, I don't I don't want to call it check on your levels because that's not the right thing to say here, mm -hmm. but is there a way to, you know, check up on yourself and, and make sure that you're okay? Yes, um, you know, I mean if I'm consulting uh a, a school or, or an individual MMA fighter, um, a couple of things that I'd be really concerned with are um, proper nutrition. Uh, we know that now is maintaining some type of um, anti-inflammatory diet or, you know, even something as simple as a paleo diet would be good. Um, the more specific you get, the better. Staying adequately hydrated because, you know, the hydration is really important um, to provide the necessary fluid movement that protects you as an athlete, specifically your brain and your skull. Um, uh, thirdly, um, where it's possible is monitoring yourself. Um, you know, there's uh, certain coaches that are using heart rate variability to monitor athletes to see if they're overtrained or to see if something's wrong. Um, there's, uh, there's a group in Ireland, uh, I believe it's Conor McGregor's group, that the, uh, the coach is requiring that his athletes get imaging done, brain imaging done, before um, they start pro, you know, um, participating as a pro fighter. Um, so that's the direction it's going in. And if I'm, if I'm consulting an organization or a team or an individual athlete, that's kind of the more information that I have, the better. Um, because a lot of times you just don't know how much an athlete, how much trauma they've suffered. Yeah, and let's say you have suffered from a concussion before. What kinds of things should you do to recover? Because, I mean, I hear it's different for everyone. With some people, they have extreme light mm -hmm. sensitivity. You know what I mean? They need to keep the mm -hmm. lights down a little bit more. With other people, it's, mm -hmm. you know, turn down the volume of the music. So what kinds of things do you mm -hmm. recommend people do to recover from a concussion? And I know, that, I know, um, that, I know that's I, a very general mm -hmm. question, Ben. So, you know, mm -hmm. bear with me, man. But I know there's you know, severities mm -hmm. to each concussion and there's different levels. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, no, but it's a fair question because, um, you know, you want to have some guidelines. So if you've had a concussion and, uh, you know, you want to recover the three things that you need to look at, uh, as an athlete or a coach is one, whether or not your athlete has some really good soft tissue treatment, um, whether that be a really good local chiropractor that can, you know, make sure that, you know, they're checking the surf books fine, that they're checking, you know, to make sure that there's no, um, that there's no soft tissue limitations, um, in the athlete. That's the first thing that they can do. The second thing is what we spoke about, which is changing the diet to make sure that you create a really good healing environment for, for the athlete. And, um, it's super, super important the nutrition. And then the third thing is that there are certain exercises, and that's where someone like me, I come in, that go to reestablish really good posture and, and make sure that you have the proper reinforcement, whether that be neck strengthening or upper back strengthening, um, just making sure that the athlete is structurally balanced um, and, and then ready to resume you know, training or, or fighting. Now, Ben, I'm really glad that you brought up uh, John Kavanaugh at SBG and how he, he started the protocol to test his athletes, mm -hmm. to, you know, to see where they're at. And as a result, Ben, you know, one or two of his fighters have retired. And, you know, I think that's a good thing, not because I want to see someone retire, but because what if they had gone mm -hmm. out there and, and fought and and they didn't even know mm -hmm. about, you know, what they were going through uh, mentally? Yeah. No, it's, um, it's quickly becoming the only way that you can have a uh, objective, quantifiable, viewpoint of what's going on 
with that athlete's brain because especially in a sport like MMA because the nature of the sport is that you only attract tough athletes. So you don't, you know, whereas other athletes from other sports might be complaining about, you know, having a, a headache or just not feeling good. That's kind of par for course for a fighter. You know, um, I haven't met a fighter that feels good after a hard sparring session or a hard fight. So I think the more that you can use things that are available to you, like imaging, and the more that your coaches um, and the athletes are honest about how what they see in the gym, the more you're going to protect um, the athletes from any further damage down the line. Man, that's such a good point, and it really ties into something I wanted to talk to you about because with a lot of these guys, you know, in MMA, there's so much machismo. I mean, this is fighting. You know, there's so many alpha males, and with a lot of these guys, they're too tough for their own good. So, you know, someone gets rocked at practice. Uh, when do you know when to say when? You know what I mean? Because with a lot of these guys, they're too tough for their own good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you again, it's the, the, the person with the most information is the guy that's looking at the athlete all the time, um, day in and day out, and really knows when that athlete, there's something wrong. And that's, that's an objective coach. You know, the, the coach can say, I don't like the way he's moving. Um, <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not liking what I'm, what I'm seeing in terms of mobility or, or, or defense or whatever other signs that they might have available to them to, to give them information to say, hey, you know what, let's take a step back and maybe we need to dial back um, on the sparring until I see what I like to see. And quite honestly, I think the direction that a sport like MMA is going in is you're going to see a lot of fighters do a lot less sparring um, in preparation for a fight, specifically in camp, because they realize that, you know, they have a small window of the amount of contact that they can, you know, take without putting themselves in danger. What do you think it's going to take for the narrative to change in terms of, you know, if someone's like, look, man, I got a headache. I need to take a, a little bit of time off. You know, a lot of fighters might be like, oh, okay, pussy. You know what I'm saying? But uh, how, mm-hmm. do we, how do we change that narrative to where it's like, all right, man, yeah, take the proper amount of time off. Do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Only spar when, you know, you're feeling back to normal. Yeah, um, I think the athletes, unfortunately, um, there has to be a fear factor involved. Um, they have to be afraid that, the rest of their lives are going to be affected by the decisions they make while they're participating in their sport and while they're competing. So that's going to change the narrative in terms of their preparation. You know, things like, um, for me, it's, you know, um, the whole cutting weight issue, you know, it's way too risky. Um, it puts the athletes at a tremendous amount of risk. And, um, if you reverse engineer it, it puts the athletes at a lot of risk for concussion when they dehydrate that much close to a fight. So things like that, they just have, you have to, you know, have the, the organizations have to be responsible enough to educate the athletes, but there has to be a fear component. If you feel like, Hey, my planning is not correct and I'm going to put my, my, my life and my family in danger going forward, then, you know, I think that the athletes will start looking at it more objectively and more systematically in terms of planning that um, in a better way. Do you think that what's going on with SBG and John Kavanaugh, do you think that's going to be the new standard for MMA to start testing, you know, your stable of fighters regularly? Yeah, I mean, I think it sets a precedent and I think it sets a really good precedent because as far as I know, that's the only 
that's the only coach and the only organization that's taken a risk like that. Um, you know, you got to remember the more information that the organization has, the more liability that they assume. So if the UFC starts testing, um, imaging all their athletes and it comes up that they were, they didn't act as responsibly as they should have, then their liability goes through the roof. Um, so I think it's a ballsy move on their part. Um, but I think it's the way to go because it's the only thing that like I said, it gives you an objective quantifiable measure. Um, cause everything else is like neurocognitive or everything else is like, um, perceived, uh, uh symptoms. Um, it's not measurable. You can't argue with, you know, pictures of an athlete's brain that they've taken and say, Hey, you know what, look, you're, you're, you're screwed up over here. or You've got damage here and this is going to affect you here later on or worse yet when they come up with a, with a non-invasive test for CTE, um, then, you know, then it's going to, it's going to change the narrative. So for the athletes listening to this right now, what would be a good first step for them to take to, you know, maybe, maybe to do things in the right direction. You know, obviously you mentioned the diet, you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the way you train, knowing when to say when, but if there was a first step, what do you think it would be, Ben? Um, uh, so my background was in, and still is to a certain extent in strength and conditioning and athletic preparation. So if I had a fighter approach me about helping them to prepare, um, I'm going to sit down with the coaches and I'm going to say, listen, the num- if I'm a fighter, the number one thing that I want to work at is not getting hit. So if you don't pay enough attention to your preparation defensively and that's where you lack, then that's, that's the most important thing that you can do in, in this sport as that type of athlete is work on your defense. The idea is to hit them and not get hit. That's number one. Number two, work on things that you have control over, like your nutrition. There's no reason for you to balloon up, you know, 25, 30 pounds away from your um, fighting weight when, when, you know, when you're not fighting, when you don't have a fight. You need to focus on things like that to create a healthier environment. Number three is be honest with yourself. If you've taken damage and um, you don't feel right or if your coaches don't like what they see, then take a step back because, you know, you want to be in it for the long haul. And then, and, and, and then finally, um, I think that you need to really look at the overall fighter's plan and it has to be systematic and you have to A, stay in shape all year round and B, you have to look at things like not sparring as much. Is that necessary? Um, and so that's what I would do. Now, Ben, earlier you mentioned about weight cutting and how, you know, you feel that's very dangerous. Not just you. It is very dangerous. I mean, we've seen guys pass out in the sauna more than once. And obviously, when you're so dehydrated, you don't take shots as well as you normally could. So what I want to know here, Ben, is, you know, how much weight should you cut, you know, in terms of your walking around weight uh, compared to your fight weight? Um, when I worked with a couple of fighters in the past, I consulted with uh with a buddy of mine who's an MD and a really, really smart, smart sports nutritionist. His name is Dr. Eric Serrano. He's out of Columbus, Ohio. And he looked into all the lip reviews and basically um, you're looking at, so if you're an athlete that's uh, fighting in a certain weight class, you should stay within 10% of that weight class year round. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is that it's really taxing to lose a lot of weight in a short period of time physiologically and neurologically. And more importantly, as an athlete, 
um, if you're outside that 10% window, there's not enough time. It takes a long time for your brain to get used to that new weight. So you, you affect a lot of neuromuscular qualities by dropping weight and fighting at a much different weight than what you walk around and train at. So, and a lot of, you know, guys like Floyd Mayweather, they stay within weight class. The guy I worked with, Timothy Bradley, stayed within, you know, really close to the weight class. A lot of the great champions um, don't really veer that far off. I mean, there's exceptions. There's no question about it. But, you know, science will, and medicine will tell you that that's not the healthiest or the smartest approach. Um, never mind it when you dehydrate that much, your, your body takes fluids from your brain so that you make sure that your, um, your heart functions correctly, that your organs function correctly. And it takes, it's, you know, it's science. It takes fluid away from your brain. That makes you more susceptible to getting your, you know, bell rung or really getting hurt badly. Now, Ben, obviously you worked with Tim Bradley. Now, he had an unbelievable war with Pravodnikov. Now, I mean, that's one of the best boxing matches of all time. But, you know, as a result, when you're in a war like that, you're going to have some lingering symptoms. So I want to know what kinds of things did Tim Bradley do to get back to the top after a war like that? Because, I mean, you don't just go through a war like that and come out the same. Yeah, and that's, that's actually when we met him was a few months after that fight. And um, the first thing that he did, um, A, he's a smart athlete. And B, he's an honest athlete, and he knew that he wasn't right. And before he returned to training, he had to get himself right. So that's when he sought us out here in New York, and we worked with him. And basically, uh, it was a lot of soft tissue treatment to ensure that everything was functioning the way it was supposed to in his neck and in his skull. Um, we did a lot of corrective exercises with him, a uh, system of exercises that include, you know, certain reinforcement, certain proprioception for the neck, certain L-de-la, which is kind of decollapsing the spine. Um, we worked with him. He was very diligent in doing it, and, um, and he recovered really quickly. Uh, but had he not done that, um, he probably would have been asymptomatic, but wouldn't have been recovered and it would have taken a lot less to hurt him a second time. And then he fought brilliantly against uh, Marquez after that. Yeah, absolutely he did. Now, Ben, I really want to thank you for the time right here, right now, and half the battle. But before we get out of here, man, is there any mm -hmm. other last piece of advice that you could give to any athletes listening? Maybe something that we didn't cover yet, something I haven't asked you about. Is there one more piece of advice you can give? Um, yeah, since your audience is primarily fight fans and MMA, uh, I would have to say that if um, I'm an athlete uh, that's getting ready for competition and listening to the podcast, then I would take a look at plan your strategies like you're writing a personal thesis. And what I mean by that is that, you know, don't limit it to a fight camp of six to eight weeks. You need to train year-round as a professional athlete, and that includes all aspects of nutrition, all aspects of mental training, all aspects of, you know, structural balance, um, even stuff like meditation. Like, if, if, if I'm an MMA guy, I'm training year-round. I'm not just getting ready for a fight in fight camp. 
Ben, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's been an mm. absolute pleasure. Let the audience know where they can mm -hmm. follow you on social media and anything else you want to plug. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, they can follow me on Facebook, just Ben Velasquez. Um, they can uh, look me on uh, on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, it's um, Z, uh, Ben, uh, NYC, and uh, and you know uh, I'll be starting a podcast soon with uh, my buddy Dr. Janopoulos. So look for that to start in the next month or so, and it's just going to be on health, wellness, exercise, just kind of a lot of the things we spoke about today. Um, for athletes and non-athletes. So it'll be a lot of good information. Awesome. Well, we look forward to checking that out. Ben, thanks again for the time, mm -hmm. man. Have a great day. You too, my friend. Thank you. There you have it, folks. Ben Velasquez. Thank you so much for checking out this very special edition of Half the Battle. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Sean Carey Tattoo and I will be back later this week to break down UFC Fortaleza, Kelvin Gastelum versus Vitor Belfort. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.